I have taken to saying product managers are unicorns. There's really two aspects of this unicornness. One is the numbers. The other is really the role. So first of all, let's take a look at some numbers. There are almost always fewer product managers in a company than any other role except CEO. There are more VPs than product managers in most product companies. There are five times as many developers minimum. There are often 10 to 20 times as many salespeople. And that means that in our nature, we are statistical outliers like unicorns. But there's more to it. And it's related to what makes a good product manager. John Cutler, who's a great product management thinker and tweeter, tweeted out this observation a few weeks ago. He said, someone asked me this over the weekend. What product management skills can be tested and graded? It bothered me for various reasons, but that might be my bias. Those with a fresh mind on this, question mark. So I'll put a link to this Twitter thread in the show notes at alltheresponsibility.com slash 329. But basically the question was, how do I test to see if someone will be an excellent product manager? Is there a test I can give that will give me a quantitative result? Now, someone in the thread mentioned a few criteria, which we batted around in the responses, and someone else mentioned a book which I've talked about a lot on this podcast, How to Measure Anything, by Douglas W. Hubbard. The point of that book, and you can refer back to a few of my podcast episodes for more on this book, is that you can measure anything, but your measurement may have a lot of uncertainty in it. Now, my answer, of course, to the original question is, no, we can't really measure this. We can't really test whether someone is going to become a great product manager. I'll go into this in more detail later, but I'll tell you the three main reasons. First of all, the things we might want to test for aren't really testable accurately, not nearly as much as we'd like them to be at any rate. Second, we don't know a priori what the right metrics are, even if we could measure them accurately. And finally, it turns out that great product managers are all different. They come from different backgrounds. They know different things coming in. They have different talents and strengths. That is, they are unicorns. And so it's very difficult to make a rubric, a scoring template, that accurately predicts whether someone will be a great product manager. But this question did get me thinking about what do we really want from our product managers and why is it so hard to determine in advance if a person will be a good product manager. Hi, this is Nels Davis, and you're listening to All the Responsibility, None of the Authority, episode number 329. Now, my goal is for this podcast to give you the best mental models, tools, techniques, and secrets for creating value in the world and delivering solutions to problems that need solving. I'm hoping these insights and approaches will help you up your game, accelerate your career, help you hire product managers, and help you get more value to market faster. If you like this podcast, you can subscribe at alltheresponsibility.com slash subscribe. So we want to measure or test whether someone has the right skills and knowledge and talent to be a good product manager. Now, as Douglas W. Hubbard says in his book, How to Measure Anything, if the outcome of a decision in question is highly uncertain and has significant consequences, then measurements that reduce uncertainty about it have a high value. So this, of course, is the driver for having some kind of a metric. Knowing if your new product manager is going to be great has potentially a huge impact on the business. This sounds fantastic, right? You can do a measurement that will tell you if someone will be a good product manager, according to Hubbard. Yay! Oh, but then you continue reading and you realize that, yes, you can make this measurement, but there's going to be a level of uncertainty in the result. How much uncertainty? Well, Hubbard gives you a lot of different ways to figure out the uncertainty range, but as I think you can imagine, 
the uncertainty level of this measurement is pretty high. Just think of all the product managers you've worked with who looked great on paper, but turned out to be less than stellar, and of course the ones who you felt you were taking a big risk on, but who excelled. And of course, you might have been involved in other kinds of business decisions that ended up going south. Did they have good measurements? Well, often they do. Not every business decision is based on good measurements, but we'll set those aside. But the measurements often end up wildly inaccurate anyway. And this is all because of the level of uncertainty. And there's just a huge amount of uncertainty. We're trying to predict the future. Let's get down to brass tacks, though. What are the absolutely required criteria for a product manager? Are there some things you can definitely say about a person who will be a good product manager? Well, I think there are some things you can say are really, really likely to go along with being a good product manager. Most good product managers are smart. They're not jerks. They're good communicators and they're good with people. It's reasonable to expect that they have some kind of track record of having gotten things done in the past, whether or not that's actually building products. They're technically knowledgeable enough. That's a little bit of a wishy-washy one. They've demonstrated the ability to learn and they understand the basics of product management and, and can articulate them. So let's say you have a stack of 100 resumes for your new product management position. Here in Silicon Valley, it's not unusual to get more than 100 applicants for a new product management position if it's listed on LinkedIn or something. Now, can you weed out people in your funnel who don't have the characteristics I just mentioned? Well, probably. Not absolutely, but probably. The problem is I don't think we learn very much in that process. At least as far as these resumes go, these criteria didn't help us much at all. All of the people graduated from college, most likely, indicating some level of smartness. All have worked on products. Some have very strong technical skills. So I think you'd agree that this list of criteria is a good test for fitness for being a product manager. If someone doesn't have one of those things, they're probably not going to be a good product manager. Of course, even there, there's a level of uncertainty, but it's not too high. And it's not a perfect list. I'll tell you a story later about someone who did not meet all the criteria on the list and yet ended up a highly skilled and indeed somewhat well-known product manager. So unfortunately, I still have a stack of 100 resumes of candidates who meet these basic criteria, and I'm pretty sure not all of them will be great product managers. So how do we filter these resumes down more to get to the best ones? Of course, everyone says on their resume that they're good communicators and that they're empathetic. And people always want to find product managers who know the domain of their product and maybe even who know the product. Now, I'm going to say that two of these criteria are a priori important and two of them are much less so, although they are perhaps desirable in some situations. First of all, empathy. It's very important for product managers. It could be our most important single trait since it comes into all the different things we do, customer and market discovery, pitching new features, going to market, and much, much more. In fact, my podcast episode on putting yourself in other people's shoes goes into a lot more detail on this. That's episode 328 at alltheresponsibility.com slash 328. But let's take a little side road on empathy for a minute. It's a critical component of product management success. How do we measure it? Well, one thing I'd like to point out is that psychopaths often score very high on simple empathy tests because it's relatively easy to game most tests for empathy. In fact, one imprisoned psychopath said he relied on his mastery of empathy to exploit the needs and feelings of others. The fact is you can learn what empathy looks like and you can demonstrate that behavior even if you don't actually have it. And that can be super dangerous, obviously, to have someone on the team who can act empathetic, but when it comes right down to it is actually more of a psychopath. Empathy is one of those things that, as Hubbard says, can be measured, but there's a relatively high uncertainty factor. 
especially if you're not using an actual proven test instrument for empathy. If you're trying to assess someone's level of empathy in a job interview by asking interview questions, the level of uncertainty ramps right up. Next, let's think about communication skills. I would say that communication is one of those skills that can easily be measured, at least in some cases. For example, most product managers have had to do a lot of writing in their previous jobs, and if you can get a sample of writing that's mainly their work, that can tell you a lot about how good they are at communicating. I certainly always try to evaluate a writing sample. Their writing can reveal a lot. Empathy, clear thinking, ability to simplify, whether they have a me or a you focus. Of course, this also depends on getting their writing as opposed to writing that was edited by someone. In-person interviews are also somewhat good for assessing a person's communication skills, especially if you ask the right kinds of questions. And at least that one-on-one type of communication in a highly stressful, somewhat adversarial situation. And if the person is good at that kind of thing, and if they're on their game that morning. Those are really two good qualities for product manager, but one is very hard to measure, while the other is much easier, but both have a lot of uncertainty involved. What about the other two characteristics, knowledge of the domain and of the particular product? Well, the good news is that they are super easy to test. That makes them very appealing. But whether they're valuable, that is, will lead you to the best choice in product management candidates, is somewhat arguable. In fact, in some situations, it could be a handicap, to have that knowledge. It really depends on the situation. For example, if the company is in need of new ideas, potentially even a new direction, then hiring a product manager who knows the existing industry and how things currently work might not be the best approach for getting new ideas and a new direction. On the other hand, if the need is for someone to hit the ground running on the current product, have good conversations with existing customers, and just ramp up business as usual, you probably do gain a little bit by hiring someone who, all else being equal, understands your business already. Now, this might also depend on the actual domain. If it's highly technical and there are many highly technical approaches to solutions and the sales process is highly technical and the differentiators are highly technical, bringing someone on board who understands all of those technical aspects is often the best choice. Let's talk about a few more criteria that are often used in weeding out product management candidates. So what about their technical skills in general? Well, it looks great on a job description because you can put a box around it. You have to have a a computer science degree or the equivalent. But what does a product manager really need to know to be considered technical enough for the job? Do they have to know how to program a computer to do something? Do they have to know your stack? Do they have to know just enough not to let engineers snow him or her? Do they need to be able to review code for errors? Do they need to be able to review code well enough to understand the general algorithm? It's really kind of an ill-defined criterion. So imagine if you were hiring, instead of a PM, a developer. Now, in this case, technical programming skills really are important. Now imagine Jeff Dean applies for your job. Jeff doesn't know your stack or the language you program in. Do you not hire Jeff Dean if he wants to work at your company? Well, if you don't know who Jeff Dean is, that example might not make sense. Jeff Dean is a superstar programmer at Google, and there are a lot of Jeff Dean jokes on the Internet about his technical talent. Such as, Jeff Dean compiles and runs his code before submitting, but only to check for compiler and CPU bugs. If Jeff Dean wants to work for your company as a programmer, you hire Jeff Dean. Not that you will ever get the chance to hire Jeff Dean. I'll put a link to some of the Jeff Dean jokes in the show notes at alltheresponsibility.com slash 329. Now here's another criteria that people love. Has a successful product exit in his or her background. This one actually sounds kind of good, at least for certain specific positions. 
But remember that most products that are launched at best do okay. So there's a lot of product managers out there that are skilled, but they haven't had a successful exit. You know, the number of products that have amazing growth, especially to the point of being acquired or going public or otherwise having a good exit is relatively small. And how many product people are at the company by the time it goes public? Usually a lot. Did this person really make that happen? If the person was really responsible for the product's success, do they really want a job at your company? What if the exit was an acquihire? Is that still a good match? The point is that these criteria, technical, no-so domain or product, good exit, are somewhat useful in a directional way. If you find an awesome person who's a good communicator, who loves your domain and knows it well, and has the experience of a few exits, and who wants to work at your company, then that's awesome. That person might be a great hire. But another person who's also awesome, but doesn't know your space, and has landed in a few dud companies in their career, and has an art history degree, but taught themselves programming on the side, might actually be the person you should hire. There's not actually a way to determine the right decision a priori. There are, of course, reasons most product managers are technical, and most are from the domain of their product, and so on and so forth, but those are not hard and fast criteria. And often, setting those aside for other criteria, is this person awesome? Are they a great communicator? Do they synthesize ideas fast? Do they bring in a different perspective that we need to shake things up? Is actually the right decision. You know, there's an old saying from back in the early days of computers and business. No one ever got fired for buying IBM. But the most innovative companies often went a different direction than IBM, and some of them ended up crushing their competition because of it. With all these criteria, we might have narrowed down our original list of 100 resumes to 10. We had to do a little bit more work than just scanning them, of course. We had to start to get an idea of people's communication abilities and their level of empathy and all these things. So maybe we're at 10 now. We have 10 candidates for this awesome product manager job. They all have a good combination of the talents, skills, and knowledge we've talked about. Empathy, communication skills, technical ability, not being a jerk, a track record, knowledge of the job and what it takes, including domain-specific knowledge if necessary. How do we now decide between them? And what is the metric that is going to give us the perfect PM out of those 10? And how certain are we that this group of 10 is actually the best group of 10 out of the original 100? And again, uncertainty is raising its head. Well, So now you're in that situation where you have to make a decision between 10 different folks or five different folks. You could start to use some decision-making tools to help with this decision, like the ones described by Chip and Dan Heath in their book Decisive. These are things like the 10-10-10 exercise or the pre-mortem or do what they do at Amazon, write the press release first for that person. Now, these work for making product feature decisions, and you can also use them to make people decisions if you apply them right. Do most product management organizations use these tools when hiring? They do not, of course. The other problem with all of these criteria is that they may exclude someone who would actually be a good candidate. I'm sure you've all had the experience of meeting a great product manager, maybe not in your company, who had none of the technical or domain knowledge that you usually consider required. And perhaps you didn't even have a track record as a product manager, and yet they became a star. Someone gave them a chance and they blossomed into the role, and maybe they're now an industry thought leader even. This actually happens a lot in product management, someone who doesn't look like a product manager from the outside, but turns out to be a great product manager. Maybe they're an art history major rather than a computer science or engineering major in college. Maybe they didn't have a series of great exits in their previous companies, but rather ended up working at a bunch of duds. Maybe their last product was nothing like your product and their tech stack was different and they don't know your space at all. But they turn out to have been a great addition to the team. 
they bring in new ideas, they learn quickly, and as a result, your product's innovation velocity shoots up. That can happen, and it's happened in a lot of different companies. In fact, Anna-Marie Clifton, the host of the Clearly Product podcast, and one of the 2019 top product leaders as determined by Product School, is an example of an art history major who became a product manager. She doesn't have a technical background, had not worked in high tech before getting her first product management job, and so on and so forth. And now she's the product lead for automation at Asana. She has a thought leader podcast. She's pretty awesome in all the ways as a product manager. But she sure didn't look like she'd be a great product manager on paper, especially at the beginning. Because the fact is that the list of criteria doesn't really capture everything we need to make a good decision or mean someone will be a great product manager. And that's the real reason product managers are unicorns. I mentioned a few books in this episode, How to Measure Anything by Douglas W. Hubbard and Decisive by Chip and Dan Heath. In the show notes, you'll find links to those books, as well as a link to Anna Marie Clifton's story on Medium, and also links to the other articles and podcasts I mentioned, including the list of Jeff Dean jokes. And that's all at alltheresponsibility.com slash 329. Now I have a big request for you. In this podcast, I always try to give you new ideas, valuable ideas that you might not have heard before, and which often aren't part of the regular product management curriculum. Haha, I know there's no such thing as the regular product management curriculum, but you know what I mean. And in that vein, I'm going to start a series of interviews on this podcast, but unlike many other product management podcasts, I'm not going to interview product managers. I think that space has been covered pretty well. Instead, I'm going to interview others in the organization with whom we have to work, like product marketing managers, development managers, customer support and customer success managers, salespeople, and sales managers, and whoever else I can think of. So we're the locus of communication between all of these groups, or at least one of the main locuses. And yet, I'm not sure that we always know what they need from us, and might therefore be failing to provide. And turning it around, I think they have information we could use if only we knew to ask for it. They know things about the market, about our customers, about what messages resonate and which don't, what features of our product are working very well for customers and which ones aren't, that would be extremely valuable for us to know about, but we often don't ask the questions and we don't even know the questions to ask. So I'll be bringing these other colleagues on the podcast and asking them these questions. There are three main things I want to learn in these interviews and then share with you in the podcast. First of all, what do they need from us? Are they getting it from us, and how can we do a better job of providing it? Second, what do they have to share with us that we aren't asking for or might even be actively avoiding, but would be excited about if we only knew? And what's the best way to interact to make sure this information is flowing? Finally, I'm really hoping to get one or two mental models from each of these organizations that they use in their day-to-day work, remembering that a mental model is sort of a way of thinking about a situation, that might be useful for product managers to know, but that we're probably not using. You know, we all pay lip service to the importance of this communication with all these different groups, and especially our role in it, but I don't think we always do as good a job of doing it as we should be or could be. And that means we're leaving money on the table in terms of having a better product that's easier to sell and ultimately improving our top and bottom lines. So, your job, dear listener, and my request for you is to let me know who I should be interviewing, either the roles or if you have specific people you think I should reach out to to have on this podcast. Also, what questions should I ask them? Are there specific challenges you're having working with another team? Have you always wondered what people on this other team even do? How they are trained? 
what they like and don't like about working with product managers? Those are all great questions. Let me know which ones you want me to get answers to. So let me know your recommendations as well as your questions, either by leaving a comment on the show notes page or by sending me an email at nils at nilsdavis.com or by dropping me a voicemail at 941-564-5743. The show page again is alltheresponsibility.com slash 329. If you like this podcast, you can subscribe at alltheresponsibility.com slash subscribe. This has been episode 329 of All the Responsibility, None of the Authority. And until the next episode, this is Nels Davis. Bye-bye. Fire. Four, three, two, one. We have ignition. Ignition.